From MPB Think Radio, this is Southern Remedies, Relatively Speaking, the show all about you and your family. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, developmental and behavioral pediatrician and professor emeritus at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. During this month of April, Autism Awareness Month, we've talked about early diagnosis and the need for early treatment of autism, the comorbidities and some of the struggles of childhood. But autism's not just a disorder of childhood. What happens to the adults? Today we have two mothers who share the struggles and successes of their families. We also have Dr. Kim Stringer, who's on the Autism Task Force, to talk with us about what's going on. Let's talk about what's going on in your life. We want to hear from you. Share your comments and experience this morning by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. This is Relatively Speaking from MPB Think Radio. Live from NPR News in Washington, I'm Lakshmi Singh. The White House may back down from insisting that Congress authorize money this week to build a wall at the border with Mexico, although President Trump is again lashing out at the media and defending the issue as a top priority for him. NPR's Brian Naylor says Congress is moving on legislation this week needed to avert a partial government shutdown. Multiple reports say Trump told a group of conservative media yesterday that he's willing to put off funding the wall until the fall. That removes one of the biggest hurdles to reaching agreement on a temporary spending plan. The current measure funding the government expires Friday. Democrats who oppose building a wall and whose votes are needed to pass any spending bill welcomed Trump's apparent flexibility. Senate Democratic leader Chuck Schumer said it was, in his words, good for the country that President Trump is taking the wall off the table in these negotiations. Still, the president tweeted this morning, quote, don't let the fake media tell you that I have changed my position on the wall, it will get built, he vowed. Brian Naylor, NPR News, Washington. New estimates from the Pew Research Center show that Mexicans no longer make up the majority of the 11 million immigrants staying in the U.S. illegally. NPR's Hansi Lo Wang reports there are now growing numbers of unauthorized immigrants from Central America and Asia. These are early estimates from the Pew Research Center, and they show that in 2016, there were close to 6 million Mexicans living in the U.S. illegally, and they made up half of the unauthorized immigrant population. And it's the first time Mexicans are no longer the majority of that population since 2005. And this continues a trend of declining numbers from Mexico that began after the 2008 recession. That's NPR's Hansi Lo Wang reporting. The top Republican and Democratic members on the House Oversight Committee say classified military documents reveal the Trump administration's former National Security Advisor Michael Flynn failed to secure authorization to inform the U.S. government about payments he received for appearances before Russian organizations two years ago. They say the documents show he did not ask permission for lobbying that helped the Turkish government as well. Republican Committee Chair Jason Chaffetz says so far everything points to violations. I see no information or no data to support the notion that General Flynn complied with the law and that is he was supposed to seek permission and receive permission from both the Secretary of State and the Secretary of the Army prior to traveling to Russia to not only accept that payment but to engage in that activity. I see no evidence that he actually did that. The committee requested documents related to Flynn, but the White House is denying them. 
The Nasdaq Composite Index has crossed the 6,000 threshold for the first time. At last glance, it was up 41 points at 6,024. This is NPR. Arkansas is preparing for another execution Thursday. Last night, prison officials delivered lethal injections to two inmates. 46-year-old Marcel Williams and 52-year-old Jack Jones were put to death just three hours apart. This was a nation's first double execution in 17 years. The state had scheduled several executions in a short period of time before one of the drugs used in the process was due to expire. Arkansas's aggressive schedule became the target of multiple court challenges that led to reprieves for four death row inmates. Eighth graders are making little progress in visual arts and music. NPR's L.A. Johnson reports on those and other findings released today from the report known as the nation's report card. The National Assessment of Educational Progress, or NAEP, measured students' abilities and knowledge of arts and music. For example, one question asked eighth graders to identify this instrument at the beginning of Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue. It's a clarinet. One positive sign? The researchers found that the achievement gap in arts between Hispanic and white students has narrowed since the assessment was done in 2008. But Hispanics and African Americans still lag far behind their white and Asian classmates. Researchers do say it makes a measurable difference how much students experience art both in and out of school. L.A. Johnson, NPR News, Washington. At last check, the Dow is up 244 points, more than 1% at 21,008. The Nasdaq is up 41 at 6,025, crossing the 6,000 mark for the first time. This is NPR. Support for NPR comes from NPR stations. Other contributors include the Joyce Foundation, supporting evidence-based policies to ensure good schools and jobs, safe streets, and clean air and water. Learn more at JoyceFDN.org. And the listeners who support this NPR station. This is Relatively Speaking with Dr. Susan Buttress on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, family at mpbonline.org. And now, Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. Good morning. Well, as you all have probably heard, this month of April has been Autism Awareness Month. So we're ending the end of the month, and we're going to talk about one more area of autism spectrum this morning on Relatively Speaking. We're happy to have you here, and we thank you for listening. Um, So we've talked uh, about, over the last month, early diagnosis, the need for early treatment of autism, The comorbidities, some of the struggles in early childhood, what parents and children go through, um, how to make the diagnosis. And we are happy to answer any of those questions if you still have some. But today we're focusing on the fact that autism is not just a disorder of childhood. So what happens to the adults? Today I have two mothers here with us, um, one in studio and one who's called in from North Mississippi, and then we also have Dr. Kim Stringer, who is on the Autism Task Force, and she will discuss with us some of the work being done by that task force and work yet to be done. So let me just tell you a little bit about our 
our visitors, guests with us this morning. I'm delighted to have Pam Dollar. I think you heard from her earlier this month on one of the other shows. Uh, she is the executive director of the Mississippi Coalition for Citizens with Disabilities and also the executive director of the Mississippi Parent Training and Information Center. So welcome, Pam. Thanks for being here. Thank you for having me. Um, and then I already mentioned Dr. Kim Stringer. She's from the Center for the Advancement of Youth, our K Center um, at UMMC. She is a developmental behavioral pediatrician, assistant professor of pediatrics, and on the autism uh, task force. Welcome. Thanks for being here. Thanks, Susan. And then Leanne, we have uh, Leanne Morgan, who is a call-in guest. She's the mother of a 21-year-old with high-functioning autism spectrum disorder. He was diagnosed as Asperger's, right, uh, Leanne? Yes, ma'am. Good morning. Thanks Good for morning. being with us. And um, Leanne's going to share her story with us and give us some, maybe some advice to others who find themselves in a... Uh, similar position and before the show got started um pam and i were talking a little bit about the fact that um even though we're talking about autism spectrum disorder one thing that i've found is that um the struggles that we have as we are trying to get services for our children are often similar whether you have a a child moving into adulthood with severe dyslexia, um, some sort of other mental health disorder such as anxiety or depression or bipolar disorder, or even ADHD many times, or language disorders. So if you have a child or moving into adulthood and wondering how to help them, feel free to call. We're happy to help in any of those areas. I know... Um, Pam Dollar and Dr. Stringer both deal with all of that, as I have over the last many years of my practice. So, um, welcome to you all. You know where I think I'd like to start is maybe, Leanne, would you talk to us a little bit about the fact that um, you and I have exchanged some emails and texts, and you have some information sort of about how you move through with your son and his life and now moving into adulthood. Talk to us a little bit about that, what's happened and some of the struggles you're facing now. Sure. Um, I, our journey pretty much um, started when he became a freshman in college. Through um, starting about fifth grade, we knew we had some issues um, we had tested him at fifth grade, and everything came back as too high-functioning um, to get accommodations. And, you know, I kind of scratched my head, and I said, you know, what exactly does that mean? <laughs> I mean, I've got an issue, and, and so I am a registered nurse, mm-hmm. and I muddled through. Um, I think a lot of parents do that where you just have to make it work. You, you've got the, you know, cards you're dealt with and you just do what needs to be done. So, Leanne, let me ask you real quickly. So, was he diagnosed as having autism spectrum disorder back then or Asperger's? No, they no. just 
I mean, he met four of the seven criteria. And, and tell grade. us what kind of struggles he was having in the fifth grade. Um, you know, I can't tell you when I quit saying, okay, let's look people in the eye. Let's keep our hands and legs to ourselves. Let, I mean, he was quiet. Um, he was very quiet. Uh, he had speech problems. Mm-hmm. Um, he had very, I mean, social interaction was a minimum with anybody outside of the family. Mm-hmm. Um, he can do a puzzle in two seconds flat. Mm-hmm. Very mathematical. Um, you know, he can do Sudoku's, make up Sudoku's, all that stuff. Um, but any kind of social interaction was just a no-go. Okay. Uh, um, so and, a lot of the characteristics, but probably back when he was young, uh, we were just not, we were more reticent to diagnose yes. ASD when there wasn't the severity there. Yeah. Yes. And, and and so I saw a lot of things that didn't, you know, he, he just, you know, verbally, um, we could spell Massachusetts, but we had tr- trouble structuring sentences. Mm. Um, you know, it, it just, it was just little things. And so we plowed away. Um, I moved him to a private school um, and he was in a small classroom and he, grade wise, you know, we made A's and B's and we didn't have issues with homework all through, you know, high school. Um, towards high school, we decided to have him retested. You know, issues were getting a little bit more pronounced, and I was scared I was missing something, you know, and had him retested, and it came back the exact same thing. Let's just work on social skills. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And I was like, but that's what I do every day. He has two younger siblings, and, you know, all, I mean, we all compensated for him. And as we got ready to send him to college, it was just, you know, my gut was in utter turmoil because I, I was just so fearful of him being able to handle day-to-day stuff. Yeah. Um, so we sent him to a very small college thinking that, you know, the smaller scale would be something that he could navigate um and without me and his sister there the wheels fell off is mm-hmm. probably the best way you know that right. i could you know put it and not unusual and so is that when you regrouped and went to get a diagnosis um we slowly started to see what you know it's not a fast process Mm -hmm. i so wish it was Mm -hmm. but it's not a fast process so the wheels didn't come off at once um it 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 started you know my my fears sort of slowly came to light where i couldn't you know you're not there he was two hours away from me and i was depending on phone conversations and once they are 18 and once they go to school, then you have, you know, you have no communication. You are the parent, and all the university really wants is your money. Yes. And, and they really don't want to communicate with you. 
Well, I don't know that all they want is money. I, well, I in fairness to them, yes, I know yes, yes. what they're trying to do is privacy. Yes, right, it pri- right. It is, it is privacy, and and this is not. Let me stop you there just for a moment. Yes. Um, I think uh, probably many of our listeners have struggled with uh, maybe not exactly the same disorder, but have I uh, hear this all the time. I know Pam, you you have worked in the parent support area. And often when more high-functioning individuals go to college, um, this is when you start hearing problems, right? Right. Um, It's not uncommon at all for uh, a a student on the autism spectrum to, especially if they're high on the spectrum, to not even get a diagnosis until 10, 11, 12, or like in this case, when they're older and they go to college and... But one thing they do have to, you know, once they get to college, they do have to declare their disability in order to get accommodations. And so it does become very important when they get to college age to have that diagnosis so they can get the accommodations they need. Right. Would love to hear hear from listeners or other professionals out there if you have any thoughts or comments about what's going on um, and and how you can um, approach those accommodations. Give us a call at 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. You can send us an email to family at mpbonline.com. Um, When we come back, we'll talk a little bit with Dr. Stringer and some more about our other two guests about um, how do you get that diagnosis? What do you do? What happens when you have an older child with a disorder? Um, This is Relatively Speaking, and we'll be right back. Informative MPB news stories, the local shows you love, up-to-date severe weather info, and the state and worldwide reach telling the story of Mississippi. You're listening to MPB Think Radio. MPB Think Radio loves to help with lots of subjects, but between 9 and 10 on Wednesday mornings, we focus on your nest. On Fix It 101, we want to help you make your place safer, quieter, drier, brighter, bigger, cooler, cozier, or the opposite of any of those things, depending on your preference. The pros are Del Moore of Affordable Solutions 601 and Jeff Sammons of Houseworks. I'm the amateur and host, Jason Klein. So go ahead and ask away. Fix It 101 is Wednesdays at 9 on MPB Think Radio. To listen to stories and shows, go to mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, family at mpbonline.org.
Welcome back. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and I'm here with three guests this morning. I have Dr. Kim Stringer, Pam Dollar, who is the Executive Director of Mississippi uh, Parent Training and Information Center and the Mississippi Coalition for Citizens with Disabilities. And we also have Leanne Morgan, who is an RN and a mother of a uh, now adult with high-functioning autism spectrum disorder. And we've heard some about her story and before the break about how her son, due to the fact that he was so high-functioning and uh, was making it okay in school, ended up in college and sort of had, uh, as she said, the wheels fall off. Um, and so we're going to get back to Leanne in just a minute, but I want to um, pull in Dr. Stringer for a minute. Let's talk a little bit about, in in the K-Center, uh, how often do you see individuals come in older, and and why do you think that, that it's so late in the diagnosis sometimes? Thanks, Dr. Buttress. So... When I see a child who's older with um, getting diagnosed with autism spectrum disorder, I think is the story is similar to Miss Morgan. Um, basically, that's usually a child who has either one a higher functioning, like autism spectrum disorder, did fine in school, no problems with behavior, maybe shy or withdrawn, mm-hmm. um, but maybe starting. starting to have some problems going to that transition from elementary to middle school and teachers not realizing that child's not that organized or not making friends or having some anxiety issues that starts. And anxiety is fairly common in individuals with ASD, right? Yes, Yes. it is. Probably about a third even higher Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. with anxiety. The other issue is Sometimes when I see a child who's layer in diagnosis, maybe they've gotten a diagnosis from the school, but never come into the medical room with a diagnosis. Right, to get a definitive. To get a definitive diagnosis. So they, the school has been doing some services, offering some speech in that realm. Right. The other category is a child who's been misdiagnosed, of course, gone through treatment with ADHD, um, we see that so, so often, often, don't we, right. that ADHD, you know, if a child's anxious and inattentive or has socialization problems and shuts down or does poor with transition, um, they appear disorganized and inattentive and they meet the criteria. Right. If you just do that checklist, we talk about this all the time, they can meet the criteria for ADHD, attention deficit hyperactivity disorder, when in reality they don't have it, or if they do, it's a comorbidity of right. that um, that autism spectrum disorder. But it doesn't explain the whole child, right? Exactly. So they've gone through a number of ADHD stimulant medicines, but we haven't gotten to, like, what's the real reason why my child behaves this way? They can be angry, mood dysregulation, can be happy one minute, sadness, which they could be misdiagnosed with a bipolar or early signs of bipolar disorder. So those are the sort of stories I hear from from older kids who um, come later into our clinic. And when I'm, 
being older, I'm probably saying between 8 and 11 mm-hmm. years of age. It is unusual, but um, Leanne, it's probably because your your son is so high-functioning and so bright. And probably also, um, keep in mind, when we're looking at autism spectrum disorder, we're not just um, grading it by intelligence. So there's the mild, moderate, severe, Um, it appears now that probably upwards of at least 50% of individuals with ASD really have average or above cognitive skills. We just aren't able to test it out um, sometimes. But the other thing, too, is you can have mild, moderate, or severe symptoms of ASD. So some kids have extreme problems with socialization and transition problems and that kind of thing. And others have the mild problems where they kind of sneak through life without a diagnosis. So um, Leanne, I suspect back that's what happened with your son so tell us how you finally got there how did you finally get that diagnosis um we pulled him home and enrolled him in a local community college here and got in touch with once you know he aged out of being able to go anywhere locally to get tested so we had to find somewhere that would test him because he was over 17 right and we took him uh, to DeSoto County, and um, there was a great place, but it took almost a semester of, you know, trips, um, and we got tested, and it was, you know, it was so obvious at that point. And what um, I talked back with the, um, the doctor who tested him when he was in junior high and she said, you know, there were things she wished she had known then that she didn't know. And and so it's it's a process, yeah. but it's worth every minute. It's worth every minute. I can't stress that point enough. It's um, worth all the time and it, the, it's the worth anguish every, to get them in the right place. It huh? is worth every step of yeah. the process. Um, yeah. And, Pam, will you talk to us a little bit about the the commonness of this kind of problem. I know you see it in your support arena a lot. So talk to us a little bit. And and you've dealt with it with your own son, right? Right. Um, are you talking about autism in particular or just the difficulty getting a diagnosis? Or? I think, you know, you could probably speak to it in a general fashion at this point. Yeah. Right. Um, um, and so... It seems like I am encouraged because it seems like that we do have, it it is, first of all, uh, parents are able to get diagnosis for their children at a younger age than they used to. Um, You know, my son's 25 and he was diagnosed at two, which was very, it was really unheard of 23 years ago because people were so afraid to diagnose a two-year-old. and he went through a huge regression and lost lots of language and socialization skills and those kind of things. So I, do, I don't believe we would have gotten a diagnosis that young had that not happened. But we do see um, parents still, um, in, when they're in situations like Leanne, where they're, you know, their child is higher functioning, that it is more difficult for them to get a diagnosis. And um, 
and services in schools. You know, um, unfortunately, so many times we hear that a child, as long as they're making A's and B's, don't meet the criteria, even though they're struggling and parents are just wearing themselves out trying to keep them above water. And so um, often and that's not true. You don't have to be failing in school to receive services. So um, I think parents out there need to know that if you have a child who's struggling and the, you're repeatedly hearing back from the school that things are not okay, then that means the teacher's um, seeing some issues. So that's when a support team needs to be called, um, a sit-down meeting needs to happen, and a plan how to make things better should happen. Um, often nobody will recommend that. You have to know what to do. And um, we've talked about this over and over again. Sort of the squeaky wheel gets the oil. That's just the way it is. Uh, I'd like to hear from our listeners if you have some thoughts or stories about um, what's happened to you or maybe just some questions about autism spectrum or any other area of disability that your older child or maybe even your young child has been struggling with. Give us a call at one eight seven seven. MPB ring that's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can send an email to family at mpbonline dot org. Um, Pam, you had a couple of other things you wanted to um, bring out. Some of the struggles that um, we're having now, and we may be facing even more so as we move along with the cut in funds and such. Right. One of the things that. Uh, Susan and I were discussing earlier is that um, that I've been really disturbed about over the last week or two is that number one we've heard that the Department of Mental Health has frozen the um, the intellectual disability developmental disability Medicaid waiver, right? Which is um, a waiver in our state that you first have to be qualified for Medicaid and then you can. Uh, get on this waiver now, which provides some wonderful services that allow people to be able to uh, live in their communities and not have to go into institutional placement. There is a waiting list. In the past, the waiting list for that waiver was as long as 10 years long. And so when we work with families through the Parent Center, that's one of the first things, you know, if I talk to a parent who has a seven-year-old, I say, you know, I tell them about the waiver and I tell them you need to get them on the waiver now and that may seem extreme for a seven-year-old but you know if the waiting list is 10 years they're going to be 17 when their name comes up on the waiting list and so um the so in the past it has been as long as 10 years but our state has really worked on that and um in recent uh over the last couple of years, they had gotten the waiting list down to five to seven years. We were very encouraged by that. But as I'm sure most of the listeners know, our state has some pretty extreme budget, budget issues, issues right, right now. And so um, they have frozen the waiver, which means that waiting list is going to start piling up again. And in very short order, we'll be back up to 10 years again. So that's very discouraging. It is discouraging. Well, we have our first caller. Let's go to Sheila in Biloxi. Sheila, you have some. Um, you have a daughter with Asperger's. Talk to us a little well, bit. I, I don't know. Oh, that okay. She had 
Asperger's, but her first cousin was diagnosed with that. Uh-huh. And uh, she, uh, her first grade teacher said she was an enigma. So I had her tested for um, hyperactivity, and they said, no, she doesn't have that. But I, I spent her grammar school years compensating for her or covering for her. Mm-hmm. You know, she was always clumsy, always forgetting. And, but at the same time, uh, she was quite bright. And there was no diagnosis for someone who uh, was really intelligent. At least they didn't come up with one. So how yeah. are you, Sheila, how are you compensating for her? Tell me what you were doing to, to make things work for her. Well, she was um, awkward. Uh, she was very uh, loud and still is extremely loud. Mm-hmm. And um, she was always forgetting things. I was always having to, you know, I'd make plans for the weekend when she she was going off to Girl Scout camp. But she'd get up to camp and her clothes, she wouldn't have her clothes or she wouldn't have something she needed. And I'd have to drive up, uh, drive up there. Uh-huh. Um, but, um, did she have friends? Did she make friends? Oh, yes, she did. Um, she did make friends. Um, I, You know, maybe she doesn't have Asperger's. I'm just going on this um, because I don't know what else could be wrong with her. She's had so many car wrecks, and she's just extremely clumsy. Hmm. And um, I don't know. I don't know yeah. what it could be that uh, is causing this. But now I think she's trying to self-medicate with alcohol, and um. that makes it much worse. And she can't hold a job down. I, I don't understand why that is. So I'm having to, you know, help. As, yeah. I mean, she gets these kind of low. She she graduated cum laude from Tulane. So you have a bright child. So, Sheila, let me just um, just mention you brought brought up several different issues that um, I would encourage you to to have her go for a good evaluation, a good psychological evaluation. And there are a couple of things that you pointed out that it could be high functioning autism spectrum disorder. It could be anxiety. It could be back to the ADHD issue with an anxiety overlay. And I see Dr. Stringer <laughs> nodding about this. Um, Go ahead. Yes, Sheila. It does sound like she probably has um, ADHD. So we know in like females, ADHD can present a little, a little later, but the symptoms are more of the inattention is more problematic in, in girls with ADHD. And a lot of things you're, you're, um, saying almost sounds like ADHD when you're looking at an adolescent or adult adult with ADHD, the symptomatology can be less to meet the criteria. Exactly. The the disorganization and then the self-medication is not uncommon at all. If you feel like you're not doing well, if you are um, frustrated and you know that you're different, then that that is often um, just a red flag that emotionally your daughter is struggling. So um, Sheila, I would highly encourage you to have her evaluated. Tell her that you you want life to be better for her. Uh, the fact that she's not holding down a job, too, tells you that maybe that disorganization is one of those things that others are noticing. So 
Thanks for your call. Good luck. I tell you, if, um, you know, we certainly have uh, resources you need. It sounds like you need an adult psychologist. And if you need names, if you could, if you want to send an email to family at mpbonline.org, I'll be happy to give you some resources in your area. Well, thank you. Thank you. Let's go next to James. James, you have some comments about what we're talking about today? Uh, yes, actually, I uh, did have a couple comments and uh, and also a question. Uh-huh. Um, one of the things is that um, oh, I have a son who's four, going on five now, and uh, he is hyperlexic. He's got uh, hyperlexic. So my question is, um, I know there's kind of been a, a separation between uh, the, the studies, the people who have studied hyperlexia have tried to separate it. Uh, from the autism spectrum, right. as, you know, as much as possible. And are those some of the the cases that you see? Because I'm interested. It, it, it's it's very rare, mm-hmm. and so it's something that we we've had to deal with. At first, we thought it was something else, of course, and we never did seek an official, you know, diagnosis because right. of the fear of being misdiagnosed. Because we knew he he was super intelligent. I mean, being able to read. Mm-hmm at the age of two and um, you know it, it wasn't in line with the regular uh, autism where the children are a little more distraught than that he, he did have a few little small things but nothing nothing that was severe but on the upside the fact that his mind he could look at a group of things and automatically tell you a number of total of without actually physically counting each one wow so yeah so so let me ask you this, James. How's he doing socially? Is he able to socialize? Is he interacting well with other individuals and, and all? He is, he is now getting there. He's actually been in a school. Because of all those things, we didn't put him in a school. And, mm-hmm. you know, we did a lot of, uh, you know, just he stayed at home a lot. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we did know that at some point he was going to need that uh, social interaction. And he actually didn't like children at all. Uh, younger, he preferred just to be around adults. But when we did put him in school, that's from the age of three. Uh, up to now, it's actually been a complete turnaround. He actually does enjoy being with his friends and yeah. things of that nature. But it still, it takes you know, like in the morning at first, it's like ah, I don't really want to fool with them. I'll kind of warm up to them as the day goes by. Yeah, you know. Um, that kind of situation. So, so uh, James, yeah, let let me just for our listeners' sake, let me just uh, real quickly talk about hyperlexia for a minute. Hyperlexia means that you have a child who who can read words um, much higher than in, than at their age level, their chronologic age um, level. Doesn't necessarily mean that they comprehend what they're reading. Um, and so, you can have a child with. Um, hyperlexia who who still can struggle in school. Um, in individuals with autism spectrum disorder, sometimes you will have sort of islands of gift where they're just amazing at something like the, the numbers game. I, I think everybody re- remembers Rain Man and, um, and Dustin Hoffman and how he portrayed that. But you truly can in the higher functioning. So... Um, the hallmarks, though, keep in mind 
are communication uh, deficits for socialization, not just delayed speech language, but that they don't use um, the language for socialization. They don't read facial cues. They don't read uh, sort of the social norms. Okay, that's one. The difficulty with transitions and restricted repertoire of interests. Those are all issues that pretty much have to be there to meet the criteria for autism spectrum disorder. So um, if your son hasn't been formally evaluated and he's still struggling, I would highly encourage you to do that. It sounds like he's still under the age of 17. Um, You're in the Jackson metropolitan area. I know we've got great services for evaluation um, at either the K Center or in, in the private realm. So I would I would encourage you to look into that if you feel like there are continued struggles there. Okay, uh, and just uh, my last part uh, is, you know, the whole ASD, um, the whole spectrum seems to be kind of a blanket, and just from my research and having to learn and you know to deal with uh, whatever it is that is present in my child. Uh, it seems like it's all really just blanketed and that it's all covered together, whereas in within there are so many different um, varieties and different, you know, uh, ways it could be looked at, whereas uh, there might be a, maybe say, maybe one major underlying uh, uh, issue, say, uh, like Asperger's, and then maybe with a, a hint and a touch of a few other small things which are not as major in that particular individual. Uh, doesn't it seem that it's a little unfair that everything just kind of is blanketed, you know, as autism and it's kind of pushed off to the side? And I think the perception for people who haven't had to deal with anything at all is that it's just this one big thing and it's kind of mm. polarizing, you know. Uh, I think Dr. Stringer is going to a- answer you on that one. So Dr. My, yeah. my best advice, James, would be um, to do what Dr. Butchers uh, has recommended seeking an evaluation for your child because at the end of the day, it doesn't matter what we call it, mm-hmm. you need to get your son the help that he needs. And uh, unfortunately, in the medical realm, in the school realm, if we don't call it something, then that prohibits him from getting the help that he needs. That's, so yeah, I right. would, I would just, you want him to get the help that he needs. So okay. get that evaluation. I I completely agree, and I know Pam's nodding too. That to yeah to be able to get the services. Um, and Leanne, I know you're you're sitting there going, "Yep, yeah, if my yeah, son." My <laughs> <laughs> so um, yeah, I, I know many people disagree with that big umbrella with the autism spectrum disorder, but it's just the way it's defined now, and. Um, people with more control than we have have made it so so unfortunately that's just the way we have to follow at this point and there may be some changes down the road but good luck james hopefully you can get uh, the help for your son that you need thank you uh, thank you thanks so much for your call and thanks for listening Okay, let's go. We're going to go back north to Tupelo. We have Vonda with a son that was diagnosed at 28. Vonda, talk to us about that, your experience. Our son is now 40. Um, And if you want to talk like through school, Mm -hmm. um, 
there were always social things because, I mean, it got bad enough that he would run up to other children and ask them to be his friend. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's a friendship or continues even at 40 to be difficult. And he does not have any close friends. However, he does have a group of gentlemen that he does play basketball with on a regular basis, and he does well there. Mm-hmm. Uh, um, and oh, let's see, even in the sixth grade, I know we took him for social uh, to a clinical psychologist, and we were just told that he lacked social skills. And we worked on that. Um, it, it was autism spectrum disorder, this diagnosis did not exist when he was a child. I later did research and he was like 20 years old before they even had those diagnoses and such. And by then he was already out of school system. Yeah, um, Vonda, I I think we're all nodding because you're absolutely right. With a 40-year-old son, though autism was described um, back in, you know, before your son actually was born, um, the description was much more severe. Um, People typically did not um, even think about autism in in an individual who had language and who was high-functioning and and all in that as we developed a better understanding of what it really appeared to be um we've we've gotten better but um many like pam said um with your son right pam um, right and I, I was just thinking autism also did not become an educational ruling under the individuals with disabilities education act which is the law that provides for an an IEP or an individualized education program for students with disabilities in the schools until I don't know I don't remember the exact year but it was in the late 80s or early 90s I when think it, became, it was in the early 90s yeah. right when it became yeah. an official category of disability right. under IDEA so right so um yeah you know I think the other thing too that somewhat somehow has been not completely understood is before it seemed that individuals with ASD really didn't care about friends didn't want friends but um I think all of us have a better understanding of it now and realize so many times they do they they hunger for friends but they don't know how to make them they don't understand the social norms and you have to be taught that and you know one of our friends psychologists often says you know um, some people catch it they get it it's intuitive but some have to be taught so the caught taught kind of thing is something that we have to remember and many times that socialization skill set is one of the things that we really um, need to focus more on than we ever believed before and now social skills training is one of those things that we offer. I know, Pam, um, your group has offered some um, education on that and what's needed, right? Absolutely. And that's what I tell people. It's not, just like you said, it's not that they can't learn social skills. They can, but they have to be taught. They don't, and you have to make a conscious effort to make sure that in their IEPs that there are social skills goals and that that's being worked on on a regular basis. Right. 
So I think uh, we're going to take another quick break. And when we get back, we'll go to Susan in South Haven, who has a question. This is Relatively Speaking. We're talking about autism transition into adulthood. We still have time for callers. Give us a call at one eight seven seven mtb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. You can send an email to family at mpbonline.org. We'll be right back. From the Capitol steps to your front door, MPB News covers the state like no one else. Our team of award-winning journalists keeps you informed on the news affecting your life. MPB News, online at mpbonline.org and on MPB Think Radio. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and by the generous support from you, our listeners. make a difference in your community by simply donating a vehicle. It's a quick and easy way to take care of that unwanted vehicle that is just sitting around. Best of all, we'll handle the entire process from picking up the vehicle to sending you the tax paperwork. Just call 877-MPB-4CAR or go online to mpbonline.org slash support. Make the difference and donate your vehicle today. To listen to stories and shows, go to mpbonline.org. This is Relatively Speaking on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, family at mpbonline.org. Welcome back. This is Relatively Speaking. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress, and we are talking about autism transition into adulthood. And we've got several callers on the line, but I have an email I want to get to. Um, It is from Jay, I believe. And um, she listened to one of our programs last week and notes that she has a daughter that she suspects might have Asperger's syndrome. Uh, the daughter's doing all right academically, sensitive, looks normal, which is very typical, until you try to talk to her in depth. And then you can recognize that there are some issues, and she would like a good evaluation and um, is asking about um, the child development clinic for a diagnosis and evaluation. So. Um, if in central Mississippi, the Center for the Advancement of Youth, K is um, does a very good job of evaluation. And and actually, um, all our docs there are very well-versed in it and psychologists. And so I would encourage you, Jay, to um, 
consult your child's physician. Um, and if she is an adult, um, have her consult her physician. But a referral can be made if she's under 17 to the case center, which used to be the child development clinic and, and grew into a center is, is exactly what's happened. So we have teams that are highly trained for that. Um, it's a, a clinic where they don't just do evaluation, but they also figure out what treatment you need and will get you into the proper treatment. It may mean complete psychological testing needs to be done, but it may not. So I would encourage you, I can give you that number right now. The number to the center is 601-984-5236, but I would encourage you to ask your physician. We are a referral clinic there. Um, Ask for a physician referral. I hope that helps. Um, If you need further information, let me know. Um, Okay, now, as promised, let's go to Sue in South Haven. Sue, you have some questions about autism heredity. Yes, I I just had my, uh, my husband was informally uh, by an autism clinician, and we talked about some problems I've had communicating with my husband for the past, 44 years of marriage, and so at the age of 74, uh, she, I told her about some things that happened with our child raising, which were very challenging. Right. I didn't even had to be a single parent because he gets so focused on his computer work and his math that he forgets that he had a child in the house. So um, he was, but he, when he was 74, I talked to a friend who was a clinician in autism, and she said, oh, he probably has uh, Asperger's syndrome because he's extremely focused on his, uh, and he went into computer science, and, um, and he has had, uh, you know, he doesn't have a lot of friends. In fact, uh, the last 40, 44 years of marriage, I've been practically his only friend. And uh, and she recommended that I read the John Robinson book, Look Look Me in the Eyes, and he definitely fits into that. My, I have two questions. One is, are there any resources available for somebody who's now 79 years old who has Asperger's? And the other question is, when our daughter was growing up, um, of course she was clumsy and she, you know, she, but she also had that incredible focus when something interested her, but she didn't do well in school because she couldn't focus on things that didn't interest her. Uh, she, she is incredibly uh, talented at, at art and drawing and doing, um, you know, scientific drawings. Uh, but she also has always been clumsy, mm-hmm. and she's had some uh, incredible accidents from her clumsiness. Well, when she was young, we kind of talked it up to growing pains, but now she's 30 years old. Yeah, and she still has problems organizing herself. She has problems with memory. Uh, she has problems with uh, clumsiness, and um, she's she's studying welding. And she took off part of her finger because she didn't Ooh, watch yikes. what she was doing. Uh, so the question is: two, is one is are there resources for somebody who's now seventy nine years old and has Asperger's? And the second thing is: can Asperger's or or autism spectrum disorder be uh, inherited from a parent. Okay, let me take those quickly. We've got a couple of other callers I really want to get to. Um, So, 
services for a 79-year-old man, um, Susan, I would say... Only if he thinks he needs them. At this point, um, you're probably not going to change a lot with socialization and the way he acts. But if he is struggling himself, then um, psychologists certainly see older individuals. And so an adult psychologist could be consulted who might have uh, give your husband some help. Yes, indeed, we know autism spectrum can be hereditary. And so it's one of those things that um, we always look at nurture nature, though. Um, when you are in a, a home where you have a certain model, there there may be a question there on how much is into in inborn and how much was model. So, just a question. It sounds like your daughter may benefit from some help um, too. I think Dr. Stringer. I just want to interject as far as autism and heredity. Basically, there's a big study going on called the Early SIP study that's been going on, I think, for the last 10 to 20 years. So basically what they found is, I think we're right now about between 18 and 20 percent. So if you have a child who has autism spectrum disorder and that sibling and you want to know if their brother or sister will also have autism spectrum disorder, the chances are about 18, 20 percent. Great. Thanks. Thanks for your call, Susan. Let's go next to um, Larry in Hazelhurst. Larry, good morning. Good morning. You have a success story. Can you tell us it pretty quickly? Osberger, he couldn't do algebra. Uh-huh. Uh, had to get a GED. He's able to help me with lawnmowers. He could figure out how to put that belt on, but I could. And so, make a long story short, he wanted to do audio. Oh, he loves audio installation. And he went to a special school in Florida. To make a long story short, he yesterday he's doing so good financially, he closed on a $100,000 house and is engaged to marry. And uh, he has to go to Pennsylvania or Maryland. They, the company has installed all of the Allied trade, uh, fan lines because this stuff is keep them from hitting the brick wall or getting out of their lane. You know what I'm saying? It's just you modern. Right, right. And all trucks are going to have it. So Dylan <laughs> get every truck in the nation done. I think he's got a job, and I thought you might want to know. You get him in the right field. Exactly. Thank you. Yeah. And mechanical is brilliant. Yeah. So, so Larry, you're pointing something out. It has nothing to do with intelligence. And there are many very high-functioning people out there who are highly successful and contribute greatly, um, greatly to us. So thanks for that call. I think all our listeners probably needed to hear that. And um, and I want to thank our guest, um, Pam Dollar, uh, Dr. Kim Stringer. I want to thank you, Leanne. Morgan for calling and pointing out some of the struggles you had. Sue in Beaumont, I am so sorry we didn't have time to get to your call, but if uh, you will send an email if you have any question, I would love to to answer you um, that question. So I want to thank everybody, all our listeners. This has been a great month for us to learn more about autism spectrum disorder. Um, we know there are many of you out there. One in 68 have a 
And um, not all are kids. There are a lot of adults out there. If you have struggles, please let us know. Let us help. Uh, There's plenty of help out there. We need more services, though. Thanks to everyone. Today's show was engineered by Liz Gill, our call screener, I believe, Sherita Brent. I'm Dr. Susan Buttress. Join us next Tuesday at 11 for Relatively Speaking, and stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now, coming up next on MPB Think Radio.